most of us know that the honeybee is in decline. But did you know that there are over 4,000 species of native bees in the United States and that they too are in trouble? Native bees are indigenous and they include the bumblebee, the carpenter bee, sweat bees, and many more. Native bees have been pollinating our native plants long before the arrival of the honeybee. Often thought of as a harmful insect or simply ignored, native bees are starting to capture our attention and imaginations. Heather Holm is an award-winning author and speaker on native plants and native bees. Her first book, Pollinators of Native Plants, helped to establish her reputation as a knowledgeable source of the native bee. In 2017, Heather published her book, Bees, an identification and native plant forage guide to much acclaim. When I decided to do an episode on native bees for Nature Revisited, I contacted Heather, who has just released a new book on wasps. Did you know that bees are descendants of wasps? So Heather joined me to talk about native bees and beyond. I thank you for joining me. My name is Stefan Van Norden, and this is Nature Revisited. How are you? Good, you? Good, good. Do you have snow where you are? Oh, absolutely. We have snow. <laughs> we just we're just coming out of a cold snap, so it's I'm looking forward to actually having temperatures close to freezing <laughs> by the end of the weekend. That's right. You're in Minnesota, right? Yeah, I'm in Minnesota. Are you ready to talk about native bees and other insects? I think so. I think good. so. So how did you find your way to become interested and so passionate about native bees? Well, it was actually through the plants that they depend on. My background is in horticulture and biology. Most of my early part of my career, I was directly working in landscapes, designing and managing gardens and native plant communities. And I'm a fairly observant person, so... I just started to see patterns of interactions and all these amazing different size uh, bees and all different colors. And it really just sparked my interest in, in insects and, and bees in particular and their relationship with plants. We have so many different kinds of native bees and sizes. Many of the really tiny species go largely unnoticed by people. We have native bees are half the length of your baby fingernails. So for the folks who don't have good eyesight or just aren't that observant, they may be not noticing some of these really tiny species, but some of our larger, what I call charismatic species, such as bumblebees, uh, you know, they really do get people's attention, especially if 
someone is an avid gardener and, you know, working in their garden and around flowering plants all the time, seeing the same insects visiting the same plant and really got me asking a lot of questions, looking for answers, and I couldn't find any. What are native bees, and how do they differ from honeybees? Right. So you and I are in North America, so a native bee to North America would be um, a bee that hasn't been introduced by humans or accidental means. So we do have some non-native species that humans purposely introduced, and that the honeybees would be one of the main introduced bees that were brought here from Europe and introduced to North America. We do have some species that made their way in shipping crates or other wood cavities and have been since introduced by, you know, by accidental means. Honeybees, their their introduction was in the 1600s and the pilgrims brought them over because they provided a source of food, honey. And the other really critical thing honeybees can provide is wax. And the pilgrims needed wax, of course, to make candles in the 1600s to have light. <laughs> so that was really the, the, you know, the primary reason for their first introduction to North America. Do native bees produce honey? No, and that's uh, you know a common mis- misconception of many people. They think all bees make honey. Just the European honeybee makes honey. Some of our native bees, for example, bumblebees, um, they will create little wax nectar pots in their colony to store nectar, but they don't. They don't. They use it for their own consumption, and they don't. They don't make honey. So honeybees are the, yep, the only bee. If you're buying honey off a shelf, that would have been produced by a honeybee. So what role does does the native bee? really play? Well, that's just it. They have a a multitude of benefits both to humans and to nature. If we didn't have native bees, we wouldn't have plants, pollination of plants and plants, you know, producing fruit and seed and helping to form that really critical foundation of the plants and the, the seed and fruit that they produce feeding other organisms in the food web. So without Without bees, we we wouldn't have biodiverse plant communities and ecosystems, and you know, really, we'd lose a lot of that functionality that nature re- really depends on. Uh, native bees are also important for humans because humans need nature. We can't we can't live without nature. We can't live without biodiversity, and biodiversity directly benefits us, even though some of us may not realize that. And then, of course, native bees also are pollinating some of the food crops that we humans consume. So they're providing a number of ecosystem services that directly or indirectly benefit us. I mean, you mentioned about the the native bee population. Um, How diverse really is it? Oh, it's surprising. Um, You ask someone, how many native bees can you name? And most people don't get above you know, seven or eight. (laughs) And we have approximately 3,600 species in North America, north of Mexico. So that's, you know, a a crazy number of different species that most people are just largely unaware of. So I I live in Minnesota, one of the larger 
upper Midwestern states, and we have approximately 450 species that occur in the northern temperate state like Minnesota. Native bees are even more diverse in species if you were living in the southwest of the country, for example. So it really is dependent on where you live in the in North America, but where you live, you should be able to observe and find and appreciate, you know, hundreds of species. Is the native bee population in decline? Yes, yes, the native bee population is in decline. We don't have a lot of historical data to compare to current population trends. Bumblebees are are one exception. We know that many of our bumblebee species are in decline. We have one now listed as federally endangered, and there was a recent petition to list a second species. So, yes, our native bees, um, like many organisms, are really suffering from habitat loss, pathogens, climate change, pesticides, all of those things that are impacting their populations. Do honeybees present a danger to native bees? Um, They can in in certain situations. There's a growing number of research papers that are demonstrating that honeybees can be very good at extracting a lot of resources in the environment where hives occur. So resources, I mean, pollen and nectar produced by flowers that all bees depend on. So we have to be mindful about where honeybees and hives are placed because there can be direct competition for resources. So there's also concern about the spread of pathogens and diseases from honeybees to native bee populations. Do you think there's a common ground between those two? Oh, absolutely. I mean, the honeybee and native bees are all bees, and they all require pesticide-free flowering plants to get the food sources that they need to feed their offspring. So, yes, they, they have shared habitat needs. Honeybees, of course, are, are a managed pollinator. So generally, they're, unless there's a feral colony living in a tree cavity, for example, uh, most honeybee colonies need human management, whereas native bees, you can sort of compare them to like a wild species. They're not managed and have other basic habitat needs in addition to what honeybees need. They need viable nesting sites as well as an adequate amount of flowering plants so that they can find enough food sources. In your years of studying native bees, what are some of the more fascinating things that you've learned about them? Where do I start with that (laughs) question? Um, They are just so interesting when you really start to learn about the different types and you get comfortable with knowing what specific genus you may be observing. We are learning more and more about the specialization uh, between native bees and native plants. So there you know, approximately 25% of native bee species, if you live in the eastern U.S., are pollen specialists. And that means the, the female bee is only collecting pollen from a, a certain kind of plant. She may be a a violet specialist, for example, and only collects pollen from violet flowers to feed her her larva. 
so to me, that's really interesting as far as our the need to have diverse native plant communities that support you know 25% of native bees that are specialists. In the bee world, it's the the females that are visiting flowers and actively and purposely collecting pollen from flowers. So they have some kind of structure on their body. Uh, In the case of bumblebees, bumblebees have a pollen basket, sort of a smooth indentation on their hind tibia that they pack pollen to carry back to the nest. I I call those those structures um, grocery bags. So the females have these external grocery bags where they're carrying pollen. Most of our native bees have hairs of varying lengths either on their hind legs or on the bottom of their abdomen. So they are purposely visiting flowers, getting covered in pollen, grooming the pollen to those uh, areas or grocery bag areas, and then transporting the loads of pollen back to their nests. Before they've done all of that, they've They've done all this work to prepare a nest, and each nest will have multiple cells where one larva develops. She returns to the nest carrying a whole bunch of pollen, deposits that pollen in a prepared cell, and when there's enough, she may have to make uh, multiple trips out back and forth in the landscape to flowering plants. When she feels like there's a, an adequate food supply for one larva, then she will lay an egg on the little pollen mass that she deposits in the cell. With the females, they have all have sort of different and sometimes unique ways that they collect pollen. Some, like I mentioned, have the pollen-collecting hairs on the bottom of their abdomen. Others uh, will sit in, in a flower basically upside down and rub their legs on the flowers' anthers that are shedding pollen grains to carry, collect and carry the pollen back to the nest. Interesting behavioral things that you can look for if you're into bee watching. Get up close and personal to the flowering plants this summer and really watch what bees are doing and how or if they are collecting pollen. How important is the native bees to our overall food production? Many of our fruit, small fruit and large fruit crops that are grown in North America are very dependent on native bee pollination. For example, fruit trees such as apples, bumblebees, and some of our early solitary species such as mining bees are excellent pollinators of apple trees. Things like blueberries or cranberries uh, are primarily pollinated or more efficiently pollinated by native bees. And then we even have a a squash specialist bee that only collects pollen from squash and pumpkin flowers. And that bee, if ideal nesting conditions are present, will be nesting right near where squash is growing and, and pollinating squash flowers. So sometimes native bees don't get the credit that's due to them uh, for pollination. Can you just give us a quick lesson on some of the different identifications? Like I I know there's the solitary bee. I think there's a mason bee. Sure. I'll just go with common names. But so, yeah, you mentioned bumblebees. Bumblebees make up about 10% of all native bees in North America that have a social lifestyle. So that means they they produce an annual colony 
and a queen with a queen doing all the egg laying and her daughters or workers helping to collect pollen and nectar from flowers and rear more larvae in the colony. So they're, they're sort of our large and hairy and I call them the flying teddy bears, the charismatic uh, black and yellow bees, and sometimes they have orange hairs that are very conspicuous and people notice. Mason bees, as you mentioned, belong to the genus Osmia, and they are one of our native bees that nest above ground in, in cavities. So sometimes people will put up nests that can be hollow tubes, and mason bees will readily use those as a, as a nesting site. But in more natural situations, they may be nesting in you know, a hole or a cavity they find in a standing dead tree, for example. Some of the more prevalent mason bee species that people would observe in eastern North America are active in early spring. So they, they can be very good pollinators of fruit trees that I mentioned earlier, uh, pear and apple. Uh, people may have heard of sweat bees, and sweat bees includes multiple genera, but they get the common name because the bees like to land on our arms or other sweaty spots on a hot summer's day. But they are generally ground nesting bees, and they can have either a solitary or sort of semi-social lifestyle. So if you live south of where I do, anywhere south of where Minnesota and east of me, you probably have a lar the large carpenter bees of different species. The Virginia carpenter bee or eastern carpenter bee looks very much like a bumblebee. Some folks don't like it because it's a wood-boring bee. So it's a cavity nester, and the males are pretty can be pretty territorial. But we also have small carpenter bees, and they are about the size of a grain of rice. They nest in flower stalks. So if you have perennials in your garden and you cut the flower stalks and leave some stubble, you can attract some tiny cavity nesting bees like small carpenter bees. So why do you think the native bee has been underappreciated for so long? Yeah, I think you're right. I think up until 10 or 12 years ago, native bees really weren't on of the radar of many people, other than a few dedicated scientists that were studying natural history and uh, of native bees. Then with the really large-scale media attention of the honeybee colony collapse disorder, the general public and the media sort of facilitated this panic. Uh, what are we going to do if we don't have honeybees to pollinate the food crops that humans depend on? And that really sort of started people understanding and realizing, well, wait, we have native bees here in North America that are doing a lot of this pollination work in the background in many cases, and we just really weren't getting much attention whatsoever. So I think since that time, more and more attention has been paid to native bees and and people realize how important they are and amazing and diverse. Really, the, the study and research and funding to study native bees has really grown, and it's, it's very exciting. More and more colleges are developing their own native bee labs and departments and with 
tons of graduate students. So some really great research is, is going on since really the public attention with colony collapse disorder. Do native bees have a place in our urban and suburban landscapes? Absolutely. Yeah, actually, um, you'd be amazed to find out how many species you could attract even just to your own residential gardens. I've got just over a half acre in the suburbs here in Minnesota and have documented over 100 species just in my little plot of land. (laughs) That's not to say that we can solve all of the native bee decline by planting urban and suburban landscapes, there are some very rare and also specialist bees that need remnant or restored native plant communities. But still want to instill in people that they can be empowered and, and plant flowering plants. And they will be helping some of the more general and common native bees, but also you can attract some rare species as well if you are selective on what kinds of plants you put in your garden. Which really goes into my next question, which is, what are some of the most effective ways that we can help to ensure that the native bees' survival, and how can I attract them to my local environment or garden? The easiest thing to do is start planting flowering plants, and preferably native flowering plants. So you would want to find out what plants are native to the area where you live. You don't want to plant a native plant that's native to New Mexico if you live in Minnesota, for example. So locally native is a good place to start. We have more and more native plant nurseries offering and popping up in different states. So it's becoming easier for people to source and purchase native plants. And native plants are important because, as I mentioned earlier, the number of specialist native bees that rely on native plants. So if you can at least start converting or adding native plants to maybe you already have a traditional garden, that will help attract uh, more species. The other considerations to think about are having plants blooming throughout the growing season. So sometimes we often sort of focus our gardening efforts and activities to have things blooming in the summer, but we we forget about early spring and and late fall, trying to add some of those what I call bookend plants. So if you live in a, a wooded area, that could be woodland wildflowers, some early blooming native shrubs that would help fill in the seasonal phenology of flowering plants throughout the growing season. And then the big heavy hitters in the fall would be uh, any kind, any species, native species of aster and goldenrod. How important is the native bee, not only to our local environment, but to our global health? Just with their pollination services, that's a huge ecosystem service they provide. It's been, just in the U.S. alone, it's been quantified as being you know, the equivalent of $14 billion of the, you know, ecosystem services of pollination. We really can't live without bees. Bees, as I mentioned earlier, are pollinating all of the native plants, diverse plant communities. They're ensuring that, you know, songbirds have enough plants because those native plants are producing seed and more plants that are hosting caterpillars that songbirds need. So it's really about ensuring this robust food web and native bees 
without native bees and native plants as a foundation, we, we our food webs would, would collapse. We're going to shift just a little bit here to talk about your recent book. Yeah, my, my new book titled Wasps just came out this week, in fact. I've had many people say, why are you writing a book on wasps? <laughs> it's the insect that nobody likes. But in fact, wasps are just as fascinating as bees. And in fact, bees are essentially hairy wasps. They they are descendants of many of the wasps that I uh, included in the new book. They have a, a number of similarities because they are closely related. Our beloved bees are vegetarian, right? They they eat plant-based food, pollen and nectar. And their wasp cousins um, are carnivorous. So instead of female wasp collecting pollen and nectar like a bee would, the female wasp is hunting other insects to put inside of a prepared cell inside of her nest. They are really important insects and also, like bees, provide ecosystem services Sometimes incidental pollination, but the other big one that wasps are providing is insect population control. My new book, it details how each solitary wasp species has very specific prey, much like our native bees that are pollen specialists. We have native wasps that only hunt a certain type of prey. It could be a group of spiders belonging to one family of spiders. It could be uh, certain types of flies. If it's in the case of another wasp, some wasps only hunt plant bugs. Others only hunt caterpillars. So when you have this diverse uh, number of wasps out in the landscape, each hunting different types of insects or spiders, they really do help keep pest populations in control. There are wasps that are parasitic. They don't actually build a nest. They, they lay their egg or in or on their prey. But the, most of the wasps in the book are predatory, so hunting other insects or spiders, as I mentioned. I did feature a few uh, parasitic wasps. The wasps that many people get stung by are social wasps. That can include, if you live in eastern North America, perhaps paper wasps or yellow jackets. And these wasps form an annual colony, sometimes perennial, and the colony is made out of paper. So the wasps are collecting wood fiber or plant stem fiber to create that paper that you may see an open celled paper nest hanging on your house off. It would likely be a paper wasp. So yellow jackets nest both above ground and make those large uh, paper conical nests you see hanging in the trees in late fall <laughs> after the leaves drop. Um, and then we have low ground yellow jackets that build a similar large paper colony but below ground. So we have 44 species of social wasps in North America, North of Mexico. Social wasps make up one and a half percent of all wasp species. So the, the rest of the wasps that are featured in my book have a solitary lifestyle and generally go about their day uh, hunting insects and building a nest and 
don't have any negative interactions with, with humans. But there are many, many wasps out there in the landscape and in your gardens that are not aggressive and won't cause anyone any harm. So what are some of your goals moving forward concerning the native pollinators? And what might be some of your final thoughts that you would like to share with my listeners? Well, one of my goals with my work is just to really highlight pollinating insect diversity. And then hopefully they also learn why they're important. And many of us, including, you know, elected officials and other folks making policy may not know much about pollinators. And the more and more we can educate people about their importance and why they're amazing and diverse and providing an ecosystem service that is really critical for our human health and also our our native plant communities. So my goal is just to hopefully bring in more and more people to the fold and pollinator appreciators. for joining me for my conversation with Heather Holm. If you would like to learn more about the important work Heather is doing, please visit her website, pollinatorsnativeplants.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please share with family, friends, and colleagues. If you would like to share your thoughts or comments, please send them to us at our website. You can also follow us on Instagram, YouTube, or at our website, nordenproductions.com. That's Norden, N-O-O-R-D-E-N, productions.com. Nature Revisited is produced by Stefan Van Norden and Charles Gagan. I hope you will join us for the next edition of Nature Revisited. And in the meantime, remember, we are nature. <laughs>